Coming up next on The Voice of Alabama Politics, our special guest, BCA President, Katie Boyd Britt. Also, the B Team takes a look at the most dangerous prisons in America. And the Porch Band of Creek Indians are selling real hard. You know something, though, Stan? I really think you ought to buy this Buick. Mm -hmm. I think you ought to buy it today, right now. You want to know why? Because this Buick is you. The color is you. Look at it. This is your car. Stanley Dewoski is Buick Centurion Convertible. Now, I know what you're thinking, Stan. You're thinking, can I afford to buy a car like this? Huh? Am I right? Seriously, Stan, you can't afford not to buy a car like this, and I'm going to make it easy on you. Hey, maybe they've got some oceanfront property in Arizona. All this and much, much more coming up next on The V. of Alabama politics, where we tackle the tough issues so you have the hard facts. I'm your host, Bill Britt, and today I'm joined by Josh Moon, investigative reporter and columnist for APR, Susan Britt, associate editor at APR, and Jack Campbell, political operative, Republican, man of good cheer, and radio host, right? Three of those were wrong. <laughs> I am a radio host. What's your radio show, Jack? It's called News and Views on 93.1 FM in Montgomery, Monday through Friday, 9 to noon. And you need to tap into it. It's very good, very good. Thank you. Josh, you, you broke a story this week that probably was a, a very important story, but also quite embarrassing for the new mayor of Montgomery. Yes, uh, 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 Stephen Reed, uh, the new mayor of Montgomery, apparently... Uh, decided to try and uh, uh, to appoint his wife as a probate judge of, of Montgomery County. Uh, there, or at least asked Governor Ivey to appoint his wife as, as probate judge. It's the position he left behind when he was elected mayor. And so the Ivey's office asked uh, Stephen to uh, to give him some ideas about people, and the idea he gave him was his wife, <laughs> and, uh, which, you know, I guess, okay, uh, you know, good try. Uh, but, it, you know, I, I don't know that that was very well received uh, in, in, in the political world of Alabama. I think some people looked at that as a little too, a bridge too far, nepotism-wise. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know that a lot of people defended that by saying, well, you know, look at the White House and the Trump and his kids and all that. But, I mean, you know, come on. Uh, we I, all I mean, Ivanka was all of a sudden the Secretary of Treasury. Yeah, the Treasury I, Secretary. I think people have a problem yeah, with that. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of, you know, if you know how the lo local governments work, right. uh, there's going to be a lot of interaction between the mayor's office and the probate office. You know, they handle elections. They handle, you know, a lot of tax issues there. And I, I just think that that was probably not the best way to handle it. But even suggesting it would have been okay, I think, with a lot of people. But I think it was more the way it was suggested. Uh, there was a lot it, of adamant... Yeah. You know, you really need to do this or we're going to take and offense And I believe there were it. a lot of phone calls that went to the governor's office. Yeah, yeah. From around Montgomery, not just him as well. Yeah, oh yeah, there was. The, yeah, the, the, Montgomery the whole delegation. delegation. Yeah, delegation. Yeah, I was, congressional yeah. delegation from it here. Just, I, I think it, the way it was handled didn't sit well with some folks, not just in the governor's office, but also around the, the, the state. Well, my understanding, the governor's office wants to have a very good relationship yeah. with all the mayors, and it's 
specifically Stephen Reed, but Jack, you know, given that Stephen Reed's father is Joe Reed, some people did not find this particularly shocking. No, no, absolutely not. Um, Shardy was working at AEA mm -hmm. while he was there, uh, while Joe Reed was vice president or whatever his position was over there. Uh, Stephen's wife was working there. I think the rub with Stephen Reed was he wanted to appoint someone he knew well mm -hmm. to succeed him. So just in case maybe there was something that went awry during his time in the probate court, really? that it would not be exposed. Say it's not so. <laughs> well, and what he's really ticked off about is that one of his rivals, actually she attempted to point two. First was Ed Kroll, but he had an age situation that was unclear to, you know, anyway. And then second, J.C. Love, mm -hmm. who was another mayoral candidate who came in like fourth place, in, ends up being the probate judge. And I don't think Stephen Reed yeah. was real happy with that. No, and, and I think the, the, the reason for that, I don't know that it's necessarily a personal thing there, but I do think that uh, with, with J.C. Love, he sees him as a potential rival down the road. Uh, because J.C. is a, listen, he's a smart guy. Uh, he's been around a lot. A lot of people in the city like him. Like uh, his wife, too. Yeah, and, and I think that, that you, he gets in the probate office, and people see him working, and all of a sudden he becomes a pretty attractive guy for some folks. And Susan... It may not be illegal, but uh, uh, as we say all the time, it doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's right. It just, you know, it and 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 you know, so many people were concerned about Joe Reed interfering in in the the new mayor's, and it kind of seemed like old family dealings here. So it it smelled a lot to a lot of people, even though even if he had the best of intentions. It just, you know, people are going to really watch Stephen Reed very hard. Yeah, and I think that's... his father is. You know what, I think that's probably the biggest thing to take away from this, is that, is that there are a lot of people that, that are looking at him very hard. Yeah. And, and some people close to him should have advised him, hey, I know what you want to do, but maybe this time here, yeah. we just back away, yeah. play the whole thing straight, and, and, and don't worry well, about it. Well, as a reporter, but, it makes you very suspicious. Yeah, it just, it just raises, I think it, you know, with the questions fair or not, the questions that were there before about Joe being involved in this, I think it does, it does hurt Stephen a little it bit does. right out of the gate. It does. Well, our prisons, Susan, continue to be dangerous. Mm -hmm. They have now been the Montgomery-based Equal Justice Initiative has labeled them the most dangerous prisons in America. Mm -hmm. We have had 13 murders in Alabama prisons in just this year. Mm -hmm. That's really, you would think, unacceptable. It is. I mean, that's double the number that it was over the past 10 years. Um, and, and I think, what, four or five of them were just last month. They were just like... Yeah. And then three of them, I think, were in the same prison. And uh, it's just, wow. I mean, Kim, I, I realize we need more correctional officers. understand that. But we also need maybe a, a culture change in the prisons as well. And, and I think that De Jeff Dunn, Commissioner Dunn, is trying to do that, Jack. But they are, they are back to being overcrowded. Mm -hmm. And you get that many people in that hotbed atmosphere and bad things are going to happen. They are. I think the correctional officers is probably the major issue that, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that points to why this happens. But, I mean, it's totally unacceptable. I mean, if you're going to incarcerate people, for God's sake, give them an atmosphere where you treat them humanely, and we don't. And we've got a federal judge breathing down our 
next right now. And if something's not done, we're going to be under federal, um, you know, mandate. They'll run the prison. Something I found interesting in the stories that we had this last week on APR was that even though we had reduced the overcrowding by a dramatic amount, uh, we were back almost to where we were before these initiatives started by most of the people that, that they let out reoffended or, or, or violated uh, well, parole. we're going to have to let that be the last word because lock them up Charlie probably ain't helping either. <laughs> <laughs> no. You're watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Our guest coming up next is Katie Boyd-Britt from the BCA. Institute of Alabama promotes reliable, affordable, and clean energy to help grow our economy, create high-paying jobs, and build public support for Alabama's energy industry. The Energy Institute of Alabama is the best source of energy industry information and how it affects households across the state, from convenient energy production to alternative fuels to solar power and beyond. What are you doing today, babe? I thought I'd head down to the lake with the guys, do a little fishing. Of course, none of us will be wearing our seat belts. I'll lose control of the truck, wrap it around a tree, and kill us all. Okay. Drive safe, Alabama. A message from your Alabama Department of Transportation. Hello. I'm William Wyatt Bibb, the first governor of Alabama. On December 14, 1819, Alabama became the 22nd state to enter the Union. This year, we celebrate 200 years of statehood. There is no better way to commemorate our 200th anniversary than by registering to vote and securing your government-issued photo ID. Together, let's make a difference for Alabama. Now you can always look your best without all those injections, appointments, and costs. Bellafill is the only dermal filler that stimulates and maintains collagen growth long-term. Now time is on your side. Back to the V, the voice of Alabama politics. We have a special guest today, President and CEO of the Business Council of Alabama, Katie Boyd Britt. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we've been trying to get you on for a few months, and uh, you are so, so busy. I'm burning up the highway. I tell you what, yeah. from the top of Alabama to the bottom. I, but... You're the hardest working woman <laughs> I know. And I, I, I can say that even being married to Susan Britt. I tell you what, I, I've got some people on the BCA team that probably rival me for that, but yeah. I appreciate it. Well, just to set the record straight before we get started, you and I are not related. No, what are you talking about? We are. But I was going to say, I would be honored to be have you as a part of my family and be a part of yours. There you go. I mean, done. Done. Okay. I do get asked that quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. No, no. It's a, there you go. It's a good thing. You know, some people say it's a new day. 
at the Business Council of Alabama. I'm one that have watched you over the last 10, nearly 11 months. And I have to say, from everything I hear and everything I see, you're doing a terrific job. Can you let our audience know what you've been doing and Absolutely. some of your thoughts of this new direction with BCA? So I, you know, I really appreciate that. It has certainly been an interesting um, 10 and a half, 11 months. It's been challenging, but it's also been fun and exciting. Um, we have a lot of opportunity in front of us, and we've really tried to take this as um, the way to kind of bring people back together and to rebuild an organization that can really affect change in the state. And so we've got a lot of good people moving in a lot of good directions, and we're excited about where we can take BCA. And you've really focused once again on building this business organization That's right. for all business yes. and yes. for all people, whether it's you know, a small business or big business, Absolutely. and it hasn't always had that reputation. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that we're trying to do is really kind of get back to core business principles and figure out how do we create an environment in Alabama that allows small, medium, and large-sized businesses to flourish. I, I will tell you, some different associations um, have the unique ability to have, you know, maybe all, only automobile dealers or only bankers and um, I think that provides a unique perspective because they're able to speak with one voice. We have something where it's, it's a little bit of a challenge in the sense that we have members all the way across the board. So um, we try to take that challenge and use it as a strength, use that diversity as a strength. And we're working to kind of build that BCA that is the big tent that all these different organizations and business entities can come under and coalesce, build coalitions and figure out, you know, how do we move the ball down the field? And, and some of that comes with just being more inclusive, you know, and not just looking at what's good for big business, but looking what's good for small businesses. Um, you know, not just looking at the urban areas of the state and what's gonna make those tick, but really looking at the rural areas and knowing that a rising tide, you know, lifts all boats and that we need to figure out how do we get these areas of our state to thrive economically. Um, additionally, you know, not just working with the majority party, but working with the minority party and having everyone at the table. And I would say also too, you know, not just cultivating young and emerging leaders, but looking to more mature and established ones to help kind of help set direction in the way in which we need to go. Well, and again, these are the types of things we're hearing and we want to we want to hear because having a cohesive message from mm -hmm. the business community. Yes. And being inclusive of both minorities, majorities, mm -hmm. party-wise, race, gender, all that, I think makes us a healthier state. It does, and I'll tell you, with the different challenges and, and things and opportunities that we have in this state, I mean, we've got to come together if we're really gonna move forward, and so we're trying to do that particularly within the business community. And I, I'm, you know, um, a daughter of two small business owners, two small business owners, so it's always been apparent to me what happens in D.C. and what happens in Montgomery affects the bottom line. Absolutely. And so you've got to figure out, you know, what do we need to do to help these people flourish? Well, you brought that up. You know, uh, a lot of people uh, know where you came from, know how you came up. Uh, many people know this, some don't, that you were the chief of staff for Senator Richard Shelby, yes. Alabama's senior U.S. senator. You were the first female chief of staff any senator from Alabama, and you accomplished that having not been 
brought up with a silver spoon, right? <laughs> this is true. This is true. What do you say? Because a lot of the young women that I interact with, those on our staff, they really admire you because they've seen what you accomplished. What kind of advice do you give to women in, in the workplace and in politics? Because we'd like for it to all be equal, but it's not. Let's be honest. It's right. not. It's harder. You, you got to be, like they said about Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, she had to do everything he did backwards and in heels. But what's your experience? No, I do think, I think starting, um, I have to say about Senator Shelby for giving me that opportunity. I'm a little bit biased, but I think he is Alabama's greatest statesman and sincerely has done more for the state of Alabama than we will ever see again in our lifetime. Um, and so that was a unique experience in and of itself and, and one that I am forever grateful for. Um, I also think probably you mentioned being a female and, and in this role. Um, I would say, you know, you keep your head down and you work hard, but what you said about society and the limitations that are placed on, on diversity all across the board are real. Um, I would say though that it's not the limitations that society places on us that do the most damage, it's actually the ones we place on ourselves. And um, so really kind of getting in there and working hard and figuring out when there's a door open, you gotta have the confidence to just walk on through. And when you do get through, I think that you have a duty to reach behind you and help someone else walk through that same door too. And I think if we did a little bit more of that, I think this world would be a lot better place. I would agree with you 100%. We've got about 30 seconds. Oh gosh, that went by too fast. Yeah, it does. Uh, What's next? What are you going, are you looking at a couple things before session starts? And can you give us just one or two of those? We're focusing on our members. We want to make sure that our members feel value and see value. And so we are listening right now. We're going through the process where we are asking them questions and what they want to see and letting them determine the direction of the organization. I, can, I think you'll see more of that. You'll see us um, continuing to work hard to make Alabama a better place for all the people that, that are here in our state, particularly the businesses as they flourish and, and that flourish continues to throw um, in, into, the, into the communities at large. All right. So. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you having me. Thank You're you very much. You're welcome to come back anytime. I, well, I'll do it. I will do it. It's, it's a little surreal being here and not on my couch watching this. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thank you. You've been watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Our special guest today has been president and CEO of the Business Council of Alabama, Katie Boyd Britt. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Jamie Johnson. When we reach the age of 18, voting becomes our civic duty. But what if it was our job? We wouldn't be so quick to call in sick or go back home if the lines were too long or just dismiss the idea altogether. Elections are also how we collectively write the song that tells our story, and voting is our solitary voice. So register to vote and go get your government-issued photo ID and add your voice to the song of Alabama. What a great opportunity for your success. 
Adding half a million highly skilled employees to our workforce by 2025 is how we stay ahead in Alabama. Our economy is stronger than it's been in years, and a skilled workforce is more important than ever. Things move fast, so choose your path. Your success is waiting, plus a great future for Alabama. Success Plus. Go for it. Hey man, what are you doing today? Um, playing the game. Thought I'd go out for a drive later, maybe. Text some friends while I'm doing it. Scroll through social media. Kill a family four and a head on collision. Cool, man. Drive safe, Alabama. A message from your Alabama Department of Transportation. Welcome back to The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Susan, you remember that George Strait song, I've Got Some Oceanfront Property in Arizona? <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that the Porch Creek Indians have got some oceanfront property in Arizona that they want to sell the snake, the state, or maybe some snake oil. I'm not <laughs> sure what it is. Anyway, this whole proposal of this $1 billion, supposedly they're winning for Alabama, has got the fuzziest math I've ever seen. But the worst part about it is that they think that the state legislature, and this may be true, mm. are dumb enough not to see through all the holes <laughs> in their argument. First of which, they're gamblers, which means the House always wins. <laughs> well, you know, they've also got bid on the Golden Gate Bridge, too, apparently. But this, it's not so much that they're dumb. We also know that 90% of them have taken PCI money, okay? We already know that. But what they're trying to do here is get absolute ex exclusivity on gaming in Alabama. Mm -hmm. Now, it all looks great and funny and lovely, and they're going to give the state a bunch of money. We're going to solve Alabama's problems and all of this until you start to look at the numbers. The numbers really don't add up. As we were talking pre-show, uh, Josh got some interesting uh yeah, I mean, Josh, you've done the math. math. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, I'm not very good at math, but I'm, uh, I'm okay up this to long division. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm okay up to long division, usually. Uh, and, and let me, I'll tell you this, I would bet on them being dumb enough uh, in the legislature. But, all right, so. Witless, spineless, right? Yeah. <laughs> at least. At least. The, the billion dollar part of this, all right, I think a lot of people are confused that this billion dollars is we're going to get a billion every year. No, it's the billion dollars is up front, first year, all right? And it's $750 million of that comes off the top from uh, an exclusivity payment of $225 million, and then licensing fees that they're going to pay for two extra casinos. And then it comes from uh, some undisclosed economic development stuff here. Right? You know, and, and maybe at some point they can describe exactly what this is, but uh, to date they have not. Then past that is a 25% tax that's, and a paper-only lottery that's going to generate $325 million per year. And that's the annual amount of income going forward. It's $325 million every year. You know, to contrast that, uh, the lottery that was proposed last year 
uh, I believe it was Senator Jim McClendon. That's right. Uh, put it put forth this lottery that had electronic components with it. Just the lottery alone in that was projected at four hundred million dollars. Yeah. In other so, words, yeah, you're losing seventy five million dollars for, and that's just the lottery, and you haven't approved any gaming. Yet. And then you're giving away the farm, Jack. Giving away. And the voters still have to approve the lottery. Am I right? They have yes, to approve well. All, and what if what if there's a good ad campaign? The Indians are going to profit from the lottery, yeah. and the lottery goes down. Would the state have already agreed to this? It depends on when they when they negotiate the compact, because the lottery is going to be different than the compact. Right. The compact is, is is a separate issue, right? With them. And so it just depends then on, on how you handle that. The other thing is, and Susan, I think we we need to look at this. Is that imagine if in 1993, the state of Alabama had said we're going to give Mercedes the sole right to manufacture cars <laughs> in Alabama. Where would we be today? We'd be as broke as we were in 93. SOL. Exactly. You know, the 4,000 jobs that we just got in the last few years here in Alabama came mainly from car manufacturers and, and, and businesses that are, are spinning off of the car manufacturers. So it'd be, it, I mean, we'd have, you know, cut our nose off to spite our own face. We would have never gotten Hyundai. No. We'd have never gotten Honda. We'd never gotten Toyota Mazda or right. the hundreds. Yeah of other businesses. Suppliers, yeah. Right. I mean, Jack, last year it was six point something billion dollars in exports from Alabama in the automotive industry. And now supposedly with the port being dredged, yep. mm -hmm. it's going to be even more beneficial. Absolutely. But yeah. we wouldn't have got this if the Germans had been arrogant enough and crooked enough to think that they could come in here and force us to give them a monopoly. Well, look, I, I, from the Port's Creek's perspective, I understand. You know, they're, they're trying to, you know, get their forward their business and they're trying to you know protect themselves and I get all that that they're not the ones that should not be doing this the ones who shouldn't be doing it are the lawmakers who are going to try to pass well you know and I agree with you to a degree but I just I just I, you know if Coca-Cola came down here mm -hmm. and said we want to buy a license that you can't right. sell any other kind of coke other soft drinks right People would be up in arms exactly. and think that they were crooks. Exactly. We they may not be crooks, yeah. but they're acting well, like thugs. I don't know if we would think they're crooks, but we would certainly think, well, there's no way in hell we're going to. Right. I don't you think know? the Indians are crooks. Uh, I just think it's a crooked deal in their favor. Yeah, I, I just think that we, we need to take a hard look at this, and, and somebody needs to get to the bottom of the facts of things and, and use those to negotiate out the right. best deal for everybody. Uh, again, I was on uh, actually think Jeff, Poor's radio, oh Jeff Poor's radio show the other day, and he said, well, do you think this is an opening bid? And I said, it's an opening bid, but it's dead to me. Yeah, I, anyway. I, think that's, I think that's a fair way to look at yeah. this, is that it is an opening Again, bid. We, all, we want, yeah. all want the Porch Creek to prosper. Mm -hmm. We just want them to prosper. Which, right. but well, we want them to more than everybody else. That's what I mean. They're probably just asking for us to, you know, to pay, uh, uh, what do you, when you buy a car, can't remember right now. Uh, oh no, no, Co docking fees. Yeah, coating, undercoating. Docking fees. Yeah, this know. is our undercoating. Yeah. All right, yeah, you got that. You know, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting. We always hear liberals talk about the one percenters. Uh, the Porch Creek uh, has about four thousand members, mm -hmm. and Alabama has about five million citizens. So the one percent of the that's the tribe wants to do something that the 99% cannot do, and they also want to tell the 99% what's best for them. Mm. I find that kind of just a little unacceptable. I just think that our people that we send to office have got to be the ones to stand up here. 
yeah. and, and do this. I mean, you, we can't have the all Britons of the world no. out there. No you know, way. Not folding in the face of this and represent the people who they're supposed to represent. And all Britain is what I'm talking about, witless and spineless. Yeah. The only time he grows a spine is when he stabs his fellow senators in the back to help the Ports Creek Indians. And that guy should no more be a chairman of, of the budget yeah. than my dog Lucy, because he ain't got sense of my dog Lucy. But we're gonna have to read, leave it right there. You've been watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. You watch us, because we watch them. <laughs>